Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to all those watching online this morning and to everybody here today. There it is. <laughs> oh, I hope you're safe. I hope you're warm. And uh, I hope you enjoy today. Look, we're just going to do a song and God's word, a few announcements. Stay with us the whole service. This is a great message from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. You're not going to want to miss it. For those of you maybe tuning in for the first time, my name is Pastor Eric. I'm the senior pastor here at Mount Zion Church here in Pine Grove. And we are so thankful for you joining with us today. Please remember, if you need anything, if we could pray for you or serve you in any way, just go to our website at mtzchurch.org. The link is right up above here, and you can go right to our website and contact us or leave a comment wherever you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, wherever you're at, and we hope you will contact us so we can help and bless you as well. So let's go ahead and, and we'll just start out with a song and do a little bit of announcements. I think today, maybe just today we will pass on meet and greet but wherever you're at you can worship God you can praise him you can glorify him right in your house have church right there we are the church the building is just where we meet but you are the church so this morning sing with me this morning
Pray for all those across this nation dealing with these storms and so much snow and wind and cold. Keep people safe today, God. Oh Lord, just bless the remainder of this service. Keep our attention and our eyes upon you. We ask you to do this in the precious name of Jesus. have a seat <laughs> unless you're already on your couch or maybe you're in your bed right now that would be kind of cool if you get everybody together gather the kids together and everybody or your pets or whoever you have and gather together in your in your home and uh, have church today we encourage you to do that so just uh, real quick before we get into our message um, we would normally have sandwich Sunday today but we are well first of all does everybody have their bulletins Okay, but Debbie does. <laughs> I hope you heard that. So um, we're postponing Sandwich Sunday, obviously, today. Although um, Debbie and I, uh, we will have lunch right after service. So in a way, that's our own 
Sandwich Sunday. <laughs> but uh, next week we'll have our Sandwich Sunday, uh, Lord willing, with the weather. We, it should be just raining, but not snowing, but who knows. But our theme is soup and salads. We hope you will come. Even if you don't bring something, come, 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 have a meal with us and enjoy our time together. Also on this Thursday, is it this Thursday already? Yeah, March 9th. Yeah, this Thursday, March 9th, from 6 to 7 p.m., we have our summit prayer meeting. We hope you will come and join us there. In fact, the day before that, we have our Wednesday night Bible study. I should have mentioned that. Wednesday night Thrive we, from 6 to 7.30, and we encourage you to come to both those. And then all the way down on March, what is it, March 16th. March 16th, the potluck dinner will be with the Refresh Group. These are the over 55ers, and their theme is St. Patrick's Day. Shock! And uh, come and bring your favorite St. Patrick's Day food that you have. Let me see if I'm forgetting anything. I do want to uh, make mention that if you'd like to get your tithes and offerings in or you'd like to give to this ministry, it's really simple. Go straight to our website. The link's right up above there, like I said, at mtzchurch.org. Click on online giving and and it'll go all through the instructions right there. Um, In fact, let me just say a quick prayer. Father, I know that there are many churches today in our area that are unable to meet and Father, we know that we depend on, on uh, this church depends on you, God, but you work through your people. And so we pray for those with a heart to give. We pray for those that are faithful. We pray for those that are stepping out in faith. We pray you bless their finances. And you, we pray for all the churches up here that you will continue to provide as you always have. And we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I did uh, Holy, Holy, Holy for one reason, a couple of reasons. First of all, I love the song. I do. It's simple, and I think it's a song we'll be singing in heaven for eternity. I really do. And this week, we've been looking at digging in deep. Digging in deep. We're digging deep because I believe God is preparing us. He wants to prepare us for the blessings that he wants to bring us. I believe God is on the move. We've seen it in so many places around this country and the world recently. And really, if you think about it, the last hundred years would be recent. God is on the move. God is doing something. He's certainly doing something here in Mount Zion Church. I've been here for almost 11 years. Actually, it'll be 11 years in, in, in April. And, and I know that for me, I've never been more excited about what God is doing and seeing what he's doing here at Mount Zion Church. And it's not just true here. It's everywhere. And when we look at preparing us, what involves that? How do we prepare us for God's presence? How do we recognize it, discern it? How do we know when it's God? And believe me, God is moving. God is filling our places and our hearts, and he's ready for for what? For what and why? Well, that's kind of some of the stuff we're going to cover today in this quick message from Isaiah chapter 6. If you have your Bibles at home, we like to call it the Mount Zion Church home version. If you have the Word of God at home, open up your Bibles, go to the left of Psalms, and you will find Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. I'll I'll wait. No, I won't. I won't. We'll have the verses right right here. We have the verses right here for you in case you don't have your Bibles handy. Did I do that right, Deb? All right. All right. Let me begin by reading it, and then we will go through it, okay? First couple of verses, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. This is Isaiah speaking. High and lifted up, and the train train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. In the year 
that King Uzziah died is how this starts off. And that's a pretty big deal. Uzziah was the king of Israel, of Judah, excuse me. And he had this long and distinguished reign uh, of being king. He began his reign, get this, when he was only 16 years old, he became king. And he reigned for over 52 years. Overall, it says that he was a good king. 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 3 says, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. So he started out really good. But then his life, King Uzziah's life, ended tragically. Second Chronicles verse 26, verse 16. I have the verse here. It's not up there, but let me give it to you real quick. It says this about the king. It says, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to, to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God. How? by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And in response, God struck Uzziah with leprosy, and he was isolated as a leper until his death. So to say that the, the king has died, it says a lot in this guy's case. In the year of a great and wise king who came to this tragic end, Isaiah had great reason to be discouraged. He was now disillusioned at the death of a great king. And because this great king had passed away, and because his life ended so tragedy, ended so tragic, it's almost as if Isaiah is saying, where is the Lord in all of this? Now I know, if you stayed with me throughout this portion of service, I know that that right there, that, those words right there, we have all said, where is the Lord in all of this? So he says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. That's where the Lord is. On the throne and still in charge. You know, God doesn't sit in a chair in heaven. Anyone can sit in a chair. Only kings and judges sit on thrones. Proper authorities and sovereignty, they sit on thrones. Isaiah was not alone in seeing God's throne also. Almost everyone in the Bible, and you can do your research in the Bible, has ever had a vision of heaven, or was taken to heaven, or who wrote about heaven, spoke of God's throne. The core belief of atheism or materialism is there is no throne. There's no seat of authority. There's no power in the universe that anyone has to answer to. And the core belief of humanism is that there is a throne, but man sits on it. We sit on it. And that, that's, that's one of the key things, isn't it? We want to be on the throne. We want to be king. We want to be in charge of our lives. We don't want to have to answer to anyone. But the Bible makes it clear there is a throne, and it is in heaven. And there's no way any fallen man can sit on the throne, but only the Lord God who is enthroned in heaven can sit on that throne. Isaiah may have been depressed. I've been depressed. He may have been discouraged. I'm sure you've been discouraged. Because what he was looking up to had passed. What he was looking forward to had died. The great leader of Judah was no longer on the throne. And God is in heaven now saying, what are you talking about? That's, that's a man's throne. That's a king. I'm on the throne in heaven. He says, high and lifted up. It's almost like God saying, I need to raise your eyes for what throne you're seeing. You're seeing the throne of man or a king. I need to see the throne in heaven. 
See my throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Kings at that time were were these long, long trains on these long robes. Basically, I think it was because they were difficult to maneuver. Basically, they couldn't do anything. If you you wear a long train, it meant, I'm so important, I don't have to work. I'm a person of honor and dignity. Others have to serve me and wait on me. Essentially, it's the same when a bride wears a dress with a long train today. She has attendants, bridesmaids, a maid of honor. She can't even she can't even do the ring part until she hands the flowers over to the bridesmaid or maid of honor. She can't do it. Why? They, and then there's also usually a maid of honor or, or, or a bridesmaid that will make sure the train is all out so they can take some nice pictures. Why? Because she's got the long train. She can't do anything. So God is so honored. He's so dignified that his train of his robe filled the whole temple. Now that long train. So it says above it stood seraphim. Surrounding the throne of God are angels known as seraphim. In other passages, angels are known as cherubim. Psalms 80, Isaiah 37, Ezekiel 10, or as living creatures in Revelation. But this is the only chapter where these creatures are called seraphim. Some deny that 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 cherubim and seraphim refer to the same beings, but the name seraphim means burning ones. Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 13 describes the cherubim also in Ezekiel 10 this way their appearance was like burning coals of fire like the appearance of torches going back and forth among living creatures the fire was bright and out of the fire went lightning so they're on fire each one had six wings Revelation chapter 4 verse 8 says that in the Apostle John, he says this, they needed six wings so they each could cover their face because they're too lowly to look upon the Lord. And so they cover their feet to hide their humility or their body. So nothing is deficient in the Lord's presence. So, and also, so they have the other two they can fly. The Lord, remember, said to Moses in Exodus 33, you cannot see my face nor man shall see me and live. So apparently the same is even true with these angels. So what is it that Isaiah, that's what he saw. Now let's look at what he heard. As we continue in chapter 6, verse 3. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It says, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with with smoke. One cried to another. So the seraphim aren't even addressing the Lord God. They're proclaiming his glorious nature, his character to one another. It's one of the reasons I love to gather with the church. And the Bible even says in Psalms, come magnify the name of the Lord with me. Magnify God. When we do it together, even, even God had these two angels doing this together, proclaiming his word. And it's funny how he says, holy, holy, holy. Why do they repeat it three times? Well, we've said this before here, and maybe you don't know. It's always done for extra emphasis. The easiest way to look at it is if it was in our language. So, so in the original text, holy, holy, holy is referring to an emphasis. Well, what is that emphasis? Well, in our language, it would be holy, holier, holiest. He's holy, 
He's holier than anything, and he's holiest of all. That's the emphasis. Saying just God is holy once isn't enough. He is all of it. So what does it mean that God is holy? What does it mean he's holy, holy, holy in the highest possible sense? Well, the root word of holy is, is really about the idea of apartness, being apart. Someone or something which is set apart. An object can be set apart. For instance, I, I remember when my uh, kids were little and I would serve the communion after service because the kids were normally in children's church and I would grab the trays. Two things would happen. One, I would, we would have communion together and I always loved that. But afterwards, all the other kids, they wanted a snack. Can we have the leftover communion, the leftover grape juice, the leftover bread? And I said, no, that's holy. It's sanctified. It's set apart for just that purpose of what God wants with these elements. And you know it's the same? It's true for you and me. We are holy. God, Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. Be set apart from this world. You are sanctified, set apart. When you believe in Jesus, you are holy, set apart. And now what is the Lord set apart from? Well, he's apart from his creation. He's not a creature. He exists outside of all of that. If all creatures were to dissolve today, the Lord God would remain. He's set apart from humanity in his nature, his essence, his divineness. He's not human. He's not some superhuman or, 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 or what would we use today? Uh, Iron Man. He's not Superman. He's not, he's not any of the Marvel or DC characters. He's not. It's totally separate. He's not smarter than any man. He's not stronger or older or wiser. You cannot measure God on man's chart. He is divine we are human. It's not in the equation. God's holiness is a part of everything he is and does. God's power is a holy power. God's love is a holy love. God's wisdom is a holy wisdom. Holiness is not an aspect of God's personality. It's a characteristic of his actual being, so set apart from us in every way. And then it goes on in the verse, the whole earth is full of his glory. The seraphim are now surrounding the, 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 the throne. And, and they could probably see a little more clearly than Isaiah could. They could see God's glory maybe better than we... How many times do we miss God's glory? We are so blessed where we live up here. It's nice to see that the sun's out a little bit and you can just see God's glory everywhere in creation. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him cried out. So these seraphim, these majestic beings, obviously their voices carried some weight. When they spoke... The doorpost of the God's throne room shake. I'm, I, I kind of wonder, was Isaiah in the doorway? Maybe, maybe he didn't even go all the way in, and he's standing in that doorway, and the posts are shaking. And I'm thinking about it. They're singing, holy, holy, holy. And shouldn't we sing with that same passion, the same heart, the same intensity, I mean, think about it. Does these seraphim, do these angels have more to thank and praise God than we do? We are aware of the fact of our need of a Savior. We have been saved. 
We have been filled with the Holy Ghost. We have so much more to praise God for. Shouldn't we praise to the point where these walls are shaking? Let me go on. The house was filled with smoke, it says. Now the smoke reminds us of this pillar of cloud of, that represents the presence of God. So there would be no doubt. In Exodus 13, we had the smoke on Mount Zion. We had uh, Exodus 19, the cloud of God's Shekinah glory. It filled the temple in 1 Kings 8, the cloud of glory. It often marks just the glorious presence of God. So that's what he's seen. That's what he's heard. Now let's get into his feelings a little bit. What was he feeling in all of this? Because I believe feelings are important. Not to override. Feelings should never override what, what we know. In fact, today, on the news today, I was reading that a school board in, or a school district in, in Pennsylvania, that they were, that, that, that in their math curriculum, in math, arithmetic, they were asking, in, a, in, in the curriculum, they were asking how they felt, how the student felt about the problem. And I'm thinking, what do feelings have to do with math? One plus one equals two, whether you feel good about that or not. The same is true with God's word. That it is true, whether you feel like it or not. It is true. So how did he feel though? Because when we worship God, I, I believe you can have a, a, a motion without worship. But I don't believe you can have worship without emotion. When God is really touching you and moving in you and I, it is overwhelming and it's emotional. So let's look at what Isaiah felt. Did he go into the temple? God showed himself on the throne and the seraphim are saying, holy, holy, holy. And, and Isaiah went, whoop, whoop, this is awesome. Isaiah chapter 6 said this. So I said, woe to me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That does not sound like he was too excited. Woe to me, for I am undone. What made him feel like he'd fallen apart? Two things. First, the sight and the sound of that seraphim. But second, the vision of the Lord God. When Isaiah sees the angels in all their holy humility, their obedience, and their praise to God, he realized only that he was, he was so unlike God, and he was even unlike the angels. They could cry holy, 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 and praise God so beautifully. But he could not, because he was a man of unclean lips. They are holy, I am not. They see God and live. If I see him, I'll die, because I am unholy. Now, Charles Spurgeon put it this way, I am undone is not a bad place to be. God will never do anything with us until he has first of all undone us. God will never do anything with us till he has first of all undone us. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah saw his sinfulness and the sinfulness of his people. And mainly in terms of even his sinful speech. That's why he couldn't cry out, holy, holy, holy. And if you think about it, by our nature, our lips get us in more trouble 
In fact, we're full of flattery and false intent all the time. Psalm 12, 2 says, with flattering lips and double heart they speak. Like you, you see it all the time. People want to hear all the good stuff. You see preachers and churches that are, that are just trying to make people feel good and flatter them and, and tickle their ears. It's amazing to me how people on Facebook, whether they're happy and they, they post all their happiness and that's wonderful, and, and, and they're just looking for people to go, wow, that's really awesome. And then you'll see people post everything that's going wrong in their lives and how miserable they are. And they're looking for someone to go, oh, but I love you, but I love you, but I love you. We love flattering lips. We love a double heart. Isaiah says, my eyes have seen the king. Isaiah was a righteous, godly man in all outward appearance. But when he compared that to the enthroned king, the Lord of hosts, he saw how sinful he was in comparison. If you think about it, draw a straight line. And no matter how straight you think you've drawn it, the minute you put a ruler up to it, you see all the flaws. Suddenly Isaiah, a righteous, godly man, no matter how righteous, he's still a man, and he sees his flaws. In fact, Isaiah's life may have been as brilliant as a diamond. But diamonds from a distance look pretty darn good. But when, when gemologists or, or salespeople in a diamond place, they will take a diamond and they will put it up against a black cloth or a black piece of something. And then they, so they have a black background. And then they take a light and they shine it on it. And that's when the flaws really stand out. And that's what happened to Isaiah here. No matter how great he looked, when Isaiah's righteousness laid against the background of God's perfection, it looked a lot different. So the next thing that had to happen was the, the cleansing of this prophet. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6, we move on. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. So these angelic beings surrounding the throne of God, they are now going to minister to Isaiah. One flies to Isaiah with a live coal, which means it was still hot and burning. In fact, I found it so interesting. Where did he get the tongs? I mean, I'm not trying to be funny here, but I'm thinking about it. If he's this amazing angel with all these wings, even with the angels, that, that altar, that coal that was burning from the, the, from the sacrifices that were given, that grabs the coal, and it's so hot, even these brilliant creatures needed tongs. So the coal was hot. It was burning. The throne is for God. It's where he rules and reigns. But the altar, and that's where he got the coal from, the altar, that is where we find cleansing and purging from sin. We can never confuse the two. The throne is for God. The altar is for us. So the coal from the altar cleanses Isaiah's lips. Now let's move on. Verse 7. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. And he touched my mouth with it. Now I thought the minute the burning coal touched his lips, the first words would have been, Ah! I would have thought that would have been the case. But it doesn't say that here. 
For Isaiah, it must have been more disturbing to see the holiness of God and his lack of holiness than to have a burning coal touch his lips. He says, your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. The fire of judgment was applied to this place of sin. And the same principle works on our behalf in the regard of Jesus and his work on Calvary. Our sin was placed on him. He was burned with the fire of God's judgment. And yet because he was holy and Jesus was righteous himself, the fire of God's judgment did not harm him. It only burned away the sin that was placed upon him. And that was your sin and that was my sin. Once Isaiah had met with the Lord, he had been convicted of his sin. He was cleansed from guilt. And now he's ready to serve God. And this is how God works with us. It is by consuming the fleshly power that inspires heavenly might. Listen to this. It's the commission of the prophet. It's the commission for us. God calls Isaiah, and now Isaiah is going to respond. Verse 8. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? God's looking for someone to send. He's wanting someone to go. I think this is so weird. I just, I do. I think this is weird. Because think of this. God of majesty and sovereignty and power. He's looking for volunteers. God wants willing, surrendered servants. And the problem is many of us are waiting for God to force us to go. You're looking for God to, to force you, or I guess I better do this thing God's called me to, or, well, it looks like no one else is going to do it. I guess I'll do it. Well, it's going to be a problem, but I guess. No, he wants willing volunteers that say, here I am, send me. It's a divine commission. It's for the Christian worker, for the servant and the witness of Jesus Christ. God's divine will to send the human. God and us working together in perfect operation. Here I am. Send me. How did Isaiah get a heart like that? He had a heart that had been in the presence of God. He had a heart that knew his own sinfulness. And he had a heart that he knew the need among the people the need for God's word. He had a heart that had been touched by God's cleansing fire. We can have that today. We can seek that today. I want to be in the presence of God. I want a heart that knows my own sinfulness. I want a heart that knows the needs of the people. I want a heart for the word of God. I want a heart that is touched by the cleansing fire of God. And he had a heart that heard the heart of God to reach the nations. Is that our heart? What is the mission, God? What do you want me to do? I love how he didn't say that first. I gotta stand up. He didn't say first, okay, God, what do you want me, what, what do you need a volunteer for? What's involved? No, he said, here I am. Send me. So here's the mission verse 9. Now you would think this mission is going to be awesome. 
God's called me to something great, something cool, something big. God's called me to something really awesome. Here it is, verse 9. Go and tell this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. And shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes. And hear with their ears. And understand with their heart. And return and be healed. And he said, go. Here I am. Send me, Lord. And he says, go serve me here. Go serve me there. Go, I'm going to prepare you. God always, listen to me. God always has a go for us. Always. Go and tell these people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Go and preach to a bunch of people that won't respond. Wow, fun. That sounds like a very successful ministry. These are people who, who, who won't respond to you, but they'll know their guilt. Make sure their heart is, of this people is dull and their ears heavy and they shut their eyes. This is really not a fun audience to preach to. Isaiah might not have been satisfied with any of this ministry. The people might not have been satisfied with this ministry, but you know who was? God was satisfied with this ministry. And understand with their heart and return to be healed. It shows that the word of God can accomplish when it is received with open ears, open eyes, and open hearts. The Word of God brings understanding to our hearts. It makes us return and brings healing to our lives. If you are under the Word of God and these things aren't happening to you, you need to ask God to work in those eyes, work in your ears, work in your heart. And then Isaiah is told how long to do this. Verse 11. I mean, I would too. That does not sound like a fun ministry, a bunch of people who aren't going to listen. So he goes, well, how long do I got to do that? Well, it says it this way. Lord, how long? And God answered, Until the cities laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away and forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it's cut down, so the holy seed shall be in the stump. This is the answer to the question. You basically got to preach until destruction comes. But there is hope in this, restora- in this restoration. There's going to be a remnant, a tenth will return. Even though Isaiah's ministry was difficult, it still had hope. And it will be for consuming, it says. The remnant will indeed return. But even the remnant will be eventually judged. Israel was was not done being disobedient. And God was not done bringing his judgment on disobedient Israel. The devastation was great, but it won't be total. The message, he's trying to tell them, listen, the message, Isaiah, is more important than the messenger. I know you're going to feel like you're not doing anything right. You're going to feel like people aren't listening. But the message is more important than your feelings. And the message is us for clear, for us to believe. So you've got to remember, Isaiah has a history of this. 
In chapter 7 of Isaiah, Isaiah receives a prophecy of Jesus' birth. Isaiah receives a prophecy of Jesus' death in chapter 53. And he receives the command to reach the lost. Go and tell his people in this chapter 6. Isaiah receives what he and all of us will experience when we keep on hearing and we believe. But we will also see a result of sometimes people hearing but don't understand. Isaiah receives from God how long and most importantly hope. Hope is that there will be a seed left that will receive him. Isaiah tells us to do this. Any believer that will see the need of a Savior to cleanse them with fire, who's willing and realize the utter dependence upon him. But here's what he doesn't do, and I'm going to close with this. This is what he doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us how. How am I supposed to do this? How is it supposed to work for us, for you, for me today? In a world that has pushed us aside, who has hardened hearts, who don't want to hear this message. In fact, when they hear it, they get mad. But when God sends, he equips. And how does he equip the willing, the cleansed, the bold, the obedient, to the point of, like Isaiah, to the point of letting God handle the outcome and where we don't worry about the result of casting the seed, how are we today, how are we to do our go? Jesus said go. God told Isaiah, go. He's telling us today, go. Well, if you have your Bible with you, now flip over to the New Testament, to the right of Psalms, to the right of Luke, Acts chapter 1. Jesus says in verse 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And how did it happen for those in the upper room? It's exactly the way it happens for us today. In Acts chapter 4, we see the prayer that I believe is needed to be our prayer today. In Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now they spoke to the people. They spoke to the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, all these religious leaders. They've been greatly disturbed that the disciples, that they, the disciples, taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection. They preached Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them, the religious leaders, and they put these men in custody until the next day. The next day. Verse 7, they had set them in their midst. So the religious leaders put these, these apostles in their midst. And they said, like, they said to Peter specifically, by what power, by what name have you done all this? Peter says, verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This, meaning Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you builders, 
which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now here's the interesting part. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 6 when God was telling them how they were going to respond when Isaiah was going to give them the word of God. It says in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. You ever felt like that? Uneducated, untrained? Well, listen to this. They marveled. Religious leaders are marveling at this. They realized they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go out aside out of the council, they confirmed among themselves. So they're going, look at them. Should we do it with Jesus? This man is healed. They're preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they go out and they're talking about it. And they said, what, what, what are we going to do with these guys? What are we going to do with these men? For indeed, that notable miracle has been done through them. It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. So what's the response to that in these religious leaders? But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that they from now on, they speak to no man in this name. Unbelievable. It's exactly what God was telling Isaiah is going to happen. It happened here to the disciples and it's going to happen to us when we go as well. So here we come to where I wrap this up to the prayer that I want to pray today for you, for me, and for our church. It's needed and needed now for Mount Zion and all that, that will hear this and desire to do the will and the command of God. Here is our prayer, Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, that prayer it says, the place where they assembled was shaken and filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness all shook just as it did in Isaiah chapter 6. We see in Isaiah chapter 6 the smoke and the fire. In the book of Acts we see the fire like tongues falls upon the disciples. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they now can preach with boldness. They were uneducated. They were fishermen and, and they didn't know all this stuff but the, even the religious leaders recognized it was real and they wanted to cast them away and prevent them from doing it. And that's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me. It happens to anyone who receives Jesus Christ and goes when God tells them to go. But we have to remember we're not responsible for the result God is. We will do what God has told us to do Mount Zion as long as I am senior pastor of this church. As long as I have breath in my lungs, I will go where God tells me to go and I will do what he tells me to do. And I will preach his word and testify to his name. But I don't get to be responsible for what that result is. For some of you, it may have an immediate effect on people that you speak to. For others, it may take a lifetime before you speak grandmother's case it took over 30 years 
so there's a seed. The seed is the hope. Father, thank you for today. Bless all those that hear this message and receive it. And Father, for those who maybe heard it but didn't receive it, I pray you soften their hearts, open their eyes, open their ears. For those who want that boldness and want to testify as the disciples or speak as Isaiah or anyone else under the anointing of God, let them surrender their hearts to you and realize the conviction of their sin. See it for Jesus is perfect. Cleanse me, cleanse me and make me bold. Let me be a person who volunteers, God, and says, I'm willing, send me, I'll go. No matter what. So, so Father, I pray that you help us all in this, and all of us here today. Safe and warm rest of the day in Jesus.